Hello, it's Sarah Archer. <laughs> it's nearly Christmas and you're listening to episode 14 of the Speaking Club podcast. Not that I'm excited or anything. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, and welcome to the show. TED Month continues here on The Speaking Club, and today you're in for a treat, as my guest is Terry Trespiccio. Terry is a branding consultant based in Manhattan, and she speaks, writes, coaches, and does a bit of stand-up comedy too. Her TEDx talk has got over 3 million views so far, and she's worked as a senior editor and radio host with the Martha Stewart brand, and has a massive media presence. And today, we're talking about branding, speaking, comedy, and how to get your big idea your TEDx talk. So let's zoom over to Terry and New York. Welcome to the Speaking Club podcast, brand alchemist, Terry Trespiccio. Hello. Thank you for having me on. You are mo- more than welcome. Thank you for, for making the time to come on. So we've got a lot to cover as you've got lots going on in terms of what you do. But this is, this is TED month on the show and I want to get into that. Mm. But it would be great to find out a bit more about your background. Now, I know you spent a good few years working with Martha Stewart, Martha Stewart brand. Could you tell me about that and how you transition to what you're doing today? Well, I did spend about gosh, the better part of a decade as a magazine editor at a magazine that was owned, acquired and owned by the Martha Stewart Company. Um, And that, like a lot of magazines, it went away. (laughs) So I spent a long time there uh, as a basically a senior editor, assigning stories, writing stories and content for the magazine, which was really a lot of fun. It had been a dream of mine to be an editor. So that was very fun. But the added bonus is that Martha doesn't just have magazines. She has a whole media empire going. Wow. And she had a channel on Sirius XM radio that was the Martha Stewart living channel. And so I somehow finagled myself a show on that channel. <laughs> and so I got to do radio in the morning for an hour and then go and be an editor in the afternoon. And for a while, it was really downright dreamy. It was basically wow. a great job for me. Um, but as these things go, uh, when you say, how did you transition? Well, I got laid off. That, is the, <laughs> that was the ungraceful transition. But you know what? Right before I got laid off, I said, I remember saying to my mother, I said, you know, I can't believe I haven't gotten laid off yet. And it wasn't because I didn't think I was good at my job or anyone didn't think that. But there were a lot of changes afoot over there. Magazines are not big money makers. And, you know, today Martha Stewart doesn't really even technically own her magazines. They're published by Meredith Corporation. So there's a move toward deeper pockets for funding magazines. And at the time, I had been there long enough that I was an easy person to take off the masthead and save some money. And then shortly thereafter, the magazine did close and the channel went away. And so, like, great jobs. They don't always last, but they were still great. Sometimes they're a vehicle to other things, which I presume is the same thing. Absolutely. And a lot of people take it as a vehicle to go work at another magazine and another magazine. There's a whole world of editors, lovely people who jump from one to the other and have had a real breadth of experience. I did not see myself as one of those people. I was like, I could go do the same thing 
somewhere else. And I feel like I've done it already. So while everyone said, well, here's how you go uh, file for unemployment. And I said, but I don't want to do that. That sounds like a lot of bureaucratic stuff. I don't really understand it. I don't want to understand it because I don't want to sign up to be unemployed. Now that's maybe smug or sounding like, oh, well, excuse me. Well, some people have to go on unemployment. It's true. And at some point I might've had to, but I decided, I was like, well, what if I just decided I work for me now? And then I went into business for myself. I said, I have a whole bunch of skills. Someone with a budget somewhere needs me. <laughs> and they did. Look, Brilliant. the world is online. The world is online. Websites, content, people need content. And there are not a lot of people who've come up and, and really cut their teeth in publishing and are professional writers, which I am and was. So that's what I did, Sarah. Basically, I started my own business as a content provider. That's how I started. Brilliant. And so, and there's a lot of talk about branding. You, you described it as a brand. Too much. <laughs> Too much talk. I guess, I guess it'd be useful to, to get from, what, what do you consider branding to be? And is, is it possible to sum it up in a sentence or is it different things? It's too complicated to do that. It better not be too complicated because if I can't explain branding, what kind of brander am I? Uh, there are people who come through branding from say advertising. They come up as a graphic designer. They come up as a, an ad copywriter. Uh, there's a lot of ways to come at branding. And I don't know a lot of people who came at it from where I did, which is from the middle of nowhere. But I knew that being able to position content only matters when you know who you're serving. And if you know who you're serving and what you want to say and what action you want them to take, then you need to create a brand to do that or you need to support the brand to do that. So Sarah, the way I explain brand to people, and I do quite a bit of speaking all over the place, all over the country to all different kinds of audiences. I mean, financial planners, professional organizers, health coaches, and they all want to know how to be better at branding. And what I tell them is simply this, your brand is not a website, a logo, or a tagline. You need those things, but they are not you. Your brand is what your work means to other people. That's it. So if Adidas makes sneakers and what their, what their work is not just we make sneakers, it's we allow you to blah, blah, blah. Or like, no, Nike, like just do it. They inspire athletes, professional and non. You know, you have to get to the nut of what your work stands for. And it's very hard to do on yourself. It's like removing your own appendix. <laughs> so, I mean, that's why I will always have work because you need someone on the outside who can reflect back at you and help you find what you have become too numb to see because you're too connected. I don't even like branding myself. It's a big pain in the butt but I love helping other people. <laughs> no, no, it's really true. I think one of the most powerful brands that I've seen built in a very short amount of time was um, Dollar Shave Club. I don't know if you- Dollar Shave Club. I yes, they them. did. Yeah. I don't know much about them, but they did kind of grow really fast. And they, what do you like about them? I think, well, it just, for me, I mean, I do a lot on uh, humor and storytelling and the way that they, certainly with that launch video that he did, which pretty much you know, catapulted the brand out of nowhere was just all about you know sort of humor and storytelling and 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 really sort of covering off the the mission of dollar shape club but you're exactly right knowing exactly who his audience was uh and you know who he was selling to i think made made all the difference and but, yeah but by the way it doesn't have to be lofty right it doesn't no, have to no. be we're out to help inspire everyone feels like they have to be on a mission from god yeah. <laughs> and you actually don't have to be on a mission from god you dollar shave club that's it. Like you, as long as your people say, oh, I want our brand to be authentic. It's like, well then only do just bite off what you can eat. 
Like only take the thing that you know you do really well and do that. Don't try to be all things to all people. And my job as a brand consultant, essentially, which is what I am, is I'm forever trying to, they come to me, they want to stand out, they want to be different, they want to have a niche. And as soon as I try to put them in one and to help them shape one, they resist it because no one wants to feel limited. They say, but I'm not just that. I said, I know you're not just that. But you know, does a steak knife say, don't make me too sharp because then I can't be a butter knife? No. <laughs> it says I want to be sharp so I can do what I do best. And that is what I wish people would do. It is it's really counterintuitive, this whole branding thing, because you've got, in this day, in this day and age, you've got to go really deep and deep your niche. That's right. And, and what, you know, it's, it, you can't be all things to all people because it doesn't work. Or, well, some people will, no, you cannot, but some people will try to do maybe like, I know a copywriter who only works with people in the health world and that's great. That's her niche. She's like the copywriter for health and medical or whatever. That's her jam. Uh, now I also do a lot of writing in the health world, but I have discovered a few years ago that I was like, but I don't want to pick an industry. So instead, but I have to narrow somewhere. Yeah. So instead of narrowing to industry, I go across industries, but I do one thing really well, and that is help get what they're saying into just a few words and yeah. just a few lines. So I decided that was my thing. But yes. that's the beauty of this. You can invent it and make it however you want. You just <laughs> must be specific. Exactly that. Now, I was going to say, I mean, this is the Speaking Club uh, podcast is really aimed at speakers, but do you think branding is important for speakers? Uh, both ways. Branding is important for speakers. And um, people who are speakers, actually people who manage brands or want to get brands into the world would be yeah. well served to become, as they say, presentation literate, be able to. There's not a person in the world right now with something to sell or something to promote who uh, can get away with not knowing how to present. But to speakers, yes, you need to have a brand and not, not worry. If you like to speak about millennial culture in workplaces, don't stress out that someone else is also speaking about that. That's okay. You can't be the only one doing a thing and you shouldn't have to be. Do you think I'm the only one talking about branding? Oh, please, everyone has it. You just need your own take. Yeah. So oh, we're in Manhattan, of course. So you're hearing sirens going by. No, don't worry. It all adds to the flavor. I did. Uh, in <laughs> say I'm in the heart of Manhattan. New York City. That's you are. Right. You are. We're, we're going to enjoy the, enjoy the culture. Well, and the, yes, please. Exactly. Flavor. And you know what? You're in the city where everything is urgent, as you can hear. You'll hear like at least five sirens. Everything's on fire. Um, but yes, for speakers, you must know your brand and don't try to do everything. It doesn't mean you can't speak on a variety of topics, but you have to know your brand as a speaker when you show up somewhere to speak, that it's how you look, it's how you sound, it's how you talk, it's how you relate to people. That's not put on. You don't hire me to do your hair and pick your, like, that's like maybe you hire a style or an image consultant, but that's not it. I look at who you are, you know, and help you figure out how to make the most of that. But a lot of speakers are like, well, I have to talk about everything and I have to be the best speaker. There's so many great speakers and they're all great for different reasons. So yeah. you got to be, but you do have to win the heart of, of who you're speaking in front of. Because in my mind, if when you speak, someone doesn't approach you afterward and say, we want you at our event, then you didn't do something as well as you could have. Because every one of those speaking engagements should lead to another one. Yeah, exactly. You should be able to build, uh, get quite a few referrals off a of speaking gig if you've done it well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is a nice segue um, into what I wanted to ask you next. So this is Ted Month on the show and talking about connecting with people. You've done a couple of TED Talks 
um, which have done uh, very well. And so how did they come about? I was interested to know that. Well, I really wanted to do a TED Talk. And um, I did not at the time understand the difference between TED and TEDx. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of people don't. TED, main stage TED, is the main, it's the media company, TED. Um, TEDx was a genius move on the part of that media company to allow individual organizations and people to have a TED franchise in their company, in their community, however they want to do it. So if you want to organize a TED event, you can. You have to make a case for it to the TED board or whatever. You have to follow certain rules, just like if you're opening a, a McDonald's franchise, you have yeah. to follow certain rules, right? You have to have it adhere to certain things. Um, and so there are so many TEDx. TEDx events are exploding around the country. And so in fact, there, it's very real, a very real goal to be able to aspire to do one and do one. To be on TED main stage, you don't just apply and hope you get in. It, it's like they got to pick. Like they're curious. It's an invitation. Every, every, yeah. yeah, it's an invitation. Like that <laughs> doesn't mean you can't apply. They do have auditions once in a while. They're always looking for new talent, of course. But my advice is to seek out a TEDx thing. Now, I didn't know that. I just wanted to do a TED event. And I didn't know how. And I, um, I basically chickened out like everyone. I was like, well, I don't know, blah, blah. And what happened was someone who doesn't even know me personally, someone who doesn't know me well at all, just a Facebook connection. And he wrote to me because his company uh, hosts, it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a big digital agency out of Kansas yeah. City. And they host the TEDxKC, which is like the fav, VML, I believe it's called. They're a, it's like one of the biggest in the country, if not the biggest. And he said, hey, I got wind that someone came out of our lineup there's an opening in that TEDx lineup. Uh, the event was in a month. Oh, wow. And he said, do you want me to connect you with the person who makes those decisions? And I said, absolutely. I got on a Skype call that day with the organizer. And he said, well, you were recommended. I looked at some of your stuff online. Tell me, do you have a TED Talk in you? And I said, I believe I may have several. <laughs> <laughs> because I had been thinking about this. For a while, I thought about what would my idea be? What do I want to speak about? Blah, blah, blah. So I had a brainstorming session with him. Now, you don't always get the TED organizer on the call to do that, but they were in a tough position. So I gave him my idea and I said, you know what I hate? I hate when people tell you that you're supposed to follow your passion and I hate that um, everyone says things are fate because it makes me feel I have no choices. So when you say follow your passion, I have too many choices. And if you tell me I have fate, I have no choices. So these are the twin uh, these twin ideas are a detriment to people. And he said, that's interesting. So it was a meaty thing. We chewed up the idea we talked about. It. He goes, can you write up an outline and send it to me tomorrow and tell me what that talk would be like? So I immediately created a document. I started writing it. I started writing the talk. And said, I think it could be this, this, this. We got on a call the next day. And then we got on a call the day after that. I talked to this man every day for a week. Wow. And at the end of it, I said, listen, do I need to buy a plane ticket? Like what is happening? Like, is this legit is this and he said you know what i really like that you're treating this as a fait accompli like you already know you want to do this talk i said yeah i do and he's like you're doing it oh good so it was amazing but he said it's we yeah, ted talks very short you want to keep it under 15 minutes yeah. the technical limit is 18 go for 15 and he said it's too many ideas pair it back to one and we went with the stop searching for your passion idea yeah. and i spent the next 3 weeks working on that talk and he line edited. We worked on that together and I was still learning it up until the day before the event. I memorized it. I had no visuals. It was kind of terrifying, <laughs> um, but it went well. I mean, I did it and there was a couple views, a couple thousand views, and then somehow it got featured on TED, uh, no, on the YouTube 
channel for 10? I don't even know where. Somehow, all of a sudden, boom, then it's 500,000 views, 600, 700. I was like, what is happening? How is this happening? I wish I could tell you how that happened. Because if I could promise it, I'd be a bazillionaire right now. But we don't know. What I can tell you about what makes a TED, and I don't, I don't even believe people go, oh, did you, your TED talk has over 3 million views, you know, it went viral. I was like, you know what, viral, viral means something that happens quickly. Like when you get a virus, you're like sick and down for the count within 12 hours. Yeah. I like to think of my talk as more like a chronic disease. It just keeps <laughs> gathering force over time and keeps doing well. But I mean, it wasn't viral. It has collected and amassed a good number of views for the two years it's been up. Yeah, that's really good. No, that's so, really but that's good. it. Then I got the second one. You know how? Someone saw that one. Uh-huh. And an organizer at TEDx, St. Louis Women, said, oh, we loved your TED Talk. We'd love you to come speak at our event. And I said, okay, well, what's the thing? Like, we're not going to do the same talk. That would be crazy. Yeah. She's like, no, can you do something for women? Now this, I gave a second talk that had nothing to do with my business. It was more personal because I'm single. I've never been married. I've never really had an interest in marriage. Um, and I think, but I'm in and out of relationships like a lot of people. And I thought, isn't it terrible that we, women in particular, are so hard on ourselves. We think something's wrong with us because we're not in a relationship. And I'd like to dismantle that idea. <laughs> and they loved that. And so I did a talk on that. So talks beget more talks. Yeah. You want to do a TED Talk? You could do five if you have the energy to keep applying. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really good. And, and so yours has done, I, mean, I don't know, it's certainly three million views is fantastic. That's brilliant. And we've just, you know, I wanted to talk about the process. Was the process the same in preparation for the no. talk as the first talk? Nope, nope. It really, again, this is where it comes down to the TEDx organization you're working with. Um, that might be one person who's just producing the whole show. And, and because of certain rules, she may only be able to have 150 people at that event. And she does not have time to line out at your talk. She yeah. might have some people helping with that. Or, you know, the, the gentleman I worked with at TEDxKC, he is incredibly bright in the writing area. And he has a team of writers. Right. So they go over your speech with a fine tooth comb because it makes him look great if that event is great. Whereas other events, sometimes they don't have time and they'll, they'll want to see the talk, a draft of it just to make sure, but they're not spending the time. And so some organizations, if they budget for it, will have TEDx coaches. So to the TEDx organization, which uh, you know will hire out of their budget, a person to help. And I kind of had that in the organizer at the first TED Talk. The second one, I didn't. But that organization, the second one, yeah. the St. Louis one, was like, we could really benefit from having a coach. By the way, would you be our coach? Oh, so nice. I have now a TEDx coach for St. Louis Women event because they needed it. And we did a test drive this year. It was great. I'm hoping they invite me to do it again. Um, so it's been really fantastic. So for me, I, made, I make a living out of TED Talks because that's what people want. Not everyone who gives a talk wants to teach giving talks. Okay. But because speaking is so close to what has to happen with branding, I have actually made it part of my life. So it has changed my life and my career. Well, this is what I was going to ask you. I mean, I know I'm going to come on to the sort of the ways that you can help people, but in terms of your personal journey, yes. how was that first TED talk? You know, how has that yeah, impacted changed. your life? Yeah. It kind of blows me away. I get emails from people all over the world at all times of day. Uh, people I don't know will write to me and tell me, you know, on LinkedIn or in my email or whatever and say, you know, you changed my life. I was really being very hard on myself about picking a passion and I hated that I didn't know what my passion was and your talk made me feel great about it and make me feel I don't have to choose or I don't have to know. 
And it's a lot of young people because they have a lot of pressure on them to follow their passion. And no one knows what that even means. And it's unhelpful advice. Parents will write to me that they are get, they've shared it with their daughters or their sons and they, because they see them struggling. And so it's great to feel that you have had that kind of reach. And that's the power of TED, really, that you have the power to reach people and to change the way they see a thing, which was my intention going out there. I said, God, I wish someone had told me this. And that's the generative and generous spirit of TED, that no one gets paid to do it. Even the organizations do it as a, as a volunteer. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a, you don't do it for money. You might do it for notoriety, sure, hey, but you've got to go out there knowing you're there to change someone's life. And how it's changed me personally is that people see that talk, they reach out to me, but also they hire me to speak. My own speaking career has taken off as a result of having that talk. I was going to ask you actually, how much speaking did you do before? Oh. And, and then how much speaking after? Please, I'm a lifelong ham. I'll take a stage <laughs> wherever I can get one. I always love to speak. I had been pursuing speaking opportunities as an editor and after, but they were small. Yeah. Um, and I got invited. I had done some speaking, uh, but it took off in a way. Once I had that, it's not that everyone who sees the talk hires me, of course, but when they're thinking of hire me and they Google me or they see that, there's a good chance they're going to come across that talk and they watch that talk and they know what they're getting. Yes. And then they're confident. So it seals the deal. Yes. Yeah. It's the yeah. best clip. I don't even have a speaker reel yet because I'm like, meh, that'll do. Yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, what, you know, at the end of the day, a speaker reel potentially is to show people what they're going to be buying. And exactly. That's the job, doesn't it? I think, you know, that's what I, I did my TEDx talk just last month. I think it just came out at the end of uh, November. And, you know, I, it, it obviously cost money. I, was, it was, I flew to a different country. Yeah, right. But, you know, you get a video, as I've said before, you get some photos, you get a video. It's great. You know, it's really great for your portfolio yeah. as a speaker. I mean, it's important. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, and, and really, if you fit the right, if you fit the bill for whatever that particular event is, there's so many, you should just apply to as many as you can. They all have their own organizers. They all have their own wants and needs, their own themes. And, you know, the fun is trying to make your content fit the theme that they have so that you show how close to their event you are. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good advice. And uh, what, so, so I would say that you would say, if you're thinking about doing a TEDx, it's definitely worth doing. I'm, I'm, I'm Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely. But if you have not done a lot of speaking and you, you think you're going to waltz in there with a keynote that you've given 10 times, that is not what they want. In fact, uh, a friend of mine uh, runs the TEDx Lincoln Square event here in New York City. Uh, I'm, it's in March and I'm hosting it this year, which is really fun. So I get to go ham it up without having to worry about <laughs> writing a TED talk. And she will ask people, what talk do you want to give? And they will rattle off, a lot of consultants rattling off their canned keynote. She goes, great, you're not giving that talk here. But this is what I do. This is what I do. I don't care. We're doing a new one. She makes them do a new one because she wants it fresh and unique and like the speaker discovering a new idea. And you can't go barreling in there with something you've done a million times. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, I speak on, I speak on women in leadership and storytelling and humor, but my talk was about what does it mean to be authentic, which is not something I've spoken mm -hmm. before. But it's oh, good. It's, see? Yeah. So I, I think that's exactly right. You know, if you can, if you can get in what if it fits if it fits like a glove to the theme that's great but otherwise i think it's important to do something which is is unique a little new and it pushes you if you have the opportunity to do a tedx talk yeah. it should push you to create something shiny and new and that you are excited about exactly. because it's like if the speaker's not excited or you know turned on by the idea of sharing this then the audience feels that 
Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. And you work with people, you know, you talk about branding, but you also work with people who want to do a TEDx talk. And, and what are the sort of big things that you work on uh, with them? Depends on where they are in their branding process. And in fact, a lot of people come to me when they say, I'd like to re-envision my brand. I want to freshen it up. It's too general. It's too blah. It's too this. I want to change it. And then when, they, when I work with someone to do that, it's kind of, well, it's what I call foundational branding. It changes the way they see themselves. It changes the way they talk about their work. And once they get excited about that, which is the best part of the job, seeing someone light up, yes, 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 that's me, but it's new, but it's also me. <laughs> then you rewrite their stuff. Then they want to do it this. They want to give, now I want to give a talk, but I want it to have this new DNA in it. They yeah. want the new stuff. And then sometimes it'll inspire. Well, I want to give a talk. Could this be a TED talk? Because I tell you, it's all of the same clay. If I'm working on someone's brand, I will slip easily into, oh, that should be the tagline and this should be your TED talk. Often I'll come up with both in the same moment. I go, this is your whole thing. Yeah. It's not just write copy for a website and write TED talk here. Those things should be connected. And yeah. once someone's excited about the brand and what they're saying, they usually want to find more places to say it. So someone might say, um, you know, hey, well, I want to do a TED talk. Like, can we engage in that way? Can I work with you to help me land my idea, figure out what the heck to do? What are the overheads going to be? How do I deliver it? And I've done that. Yeah. So that's, that's how that works. I've done it for myself. I've also done it for other people and recommended speakers to TED events and gotten them placed. So I'm finding I, I'm very indebted to the TED community because I'm finding a new place for my own skills. You know <laughs> what I mean? Somewhere for it to go. <laughs> no, it's absolutely because people struggle. I think, you know, they're, they're, it's the what to say is, is a, often a bigger struggle than, than, you know, sometimes yeah. the delivery part. But I think speaking generally, I mean, you mentioned, you know, earlier about people need to be presentation. I can't remember the exact word. That presentation you literate. Exactly. But, you know, speaking is becoming such a massive part of, you know, selling, you know, using speaking to sell your brand or your authority or your credibility, but also make sales. You know, there's a lead generator. Yes. It's a yes. massive thing. Oh gosh. Massive lead generator. Yeah. So you're, you're, are you finding that more over your side? Yes. Of the pond? It's crazy how it's changing. I mean, you need great copy. You need to have good, smart writing that reflects what you do. And most people, it is not a condemnation of their intelligence. Most people did not spend their lives writing and they were not taught the best way to do it. Doesn't mean you can't learn, but some people are like, you know what? I don't really want to learn that. Same thing <laughs> with speaking. They decide, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this. And then they get very down on themselves. I was working with an executive owner of a software company and he said, I just, I should be a better speaker. I said, where does this come about? This idea that you should be, maybe I should be a better fly fisherman, but I never do it. Like there's no should, don't be hard on yourself for that, but recognize that it is a skill and that it's something you must learn. You can't just out of the gate. Okay, fine. Some people can go out there and wing it and be amazing, but most people can't. They need to be trained to do it and they need to see, not from their side, they're so worried about what they're gonna say, they have to see it from the perspective of the audience. And people say, what do you do about nerves? And what do you do about anxiety? I said, look, nervousness, my interpretation of it in my body is excitement. I'm excited before I go on stage. I have all the same symptoms you do. I'm clammy, my mouth goes dry, my heart's pounding, but I love it. So I read that as fun. You read it maybe as a panic attack, not you, Sarah, but other people <laughs> read it as a panic attack. I really believe that if you know exactly what you're there to say and how valuable it is, your anxiety will not be the same because you're realizing you know, if, if everyone in the audience, I always say this, if everyone in the audience were on fire and you had the only uh, button to the hose to hose everyone off, would you be self-conscious about hosing them down? No, you. the first thing you want to do is just put out the fire. Look at your content as 
the thing they need and in delivering it to them, you're giving them something of value to put out a certain fire in their life. So give it unreservedly, give yourself fully to it and realize they're not judging you. They're just sitting there going, what can she do for me? Yeah. Exactly. So give them something. Exactly that. And I think, I think the other thing is to say is that, you know, it is those, those feelings that you get before you go on, which everyone has. You're absolutely right. I still get them. Um, and we're going to talk about comedy in a little bit because you and I both mm. do stand up. But yeah, and you have them then. But it's about getting ready to peak perform as well. So it's, yes. you know, it's that if you don't have those feelings, I'd be slightly concerned. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I would be. I'd be like, are you dead inside? <laughs> yes. But the other thing, Sarah, you were saying is what, why this is blowing up so much is because we can now get anything at any time online at literally anywhere. And so there, we lose, we have immediacy. We don't have urgency. And so in order for something to become urgent, what are people doing? Bringing us back to the human experience of putting people in a room and putting a live human in front of them to talk. And if people connect with you as a human, you're in. I don't care what lead magnet you have, whatever. It doesn't, all that stuff only matters really when you're online. But when you're in person, yes, you need those tools to keep those audience members with you and to stay in touch with them. But if they like you in person, they are yours. And yeah. so that's why it's so important to learn to speak well and to tap who you really are on stage because people want to know you and they want to like you. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And just for anyone that's listening that doesn't know what a lead magnet is, let me just quickly. So basically when it's something that you are giving people uh, that is of value to them and in exchange for them to either subscribe to your list or if you have an email list which is one of the big things that you should be building if you if if you haven't already started um so it's something that you give away for free and speaking is a great vehicle for getting people interested in what you do and then sharing giving them an opportunity to find out more about you and maybe pick up something of value that will help them further along their journey so oh my uh, god sarah i would walk into a room and speak and leave and like never clicked any email. Like now I realize what a waste that was. And so now I put a slide up there when uh, my team uses lead digits, whatever, oh, yeah. like you go text this word to this number. And then I send them the slide deck or I send them a guide, a free guide, uh, 20, I've, I have one that's called, I have it on my website now, it's 25 questions to discover your Ted worthy talk. But people go, oh, I want that. I liked her, I want that. And they type it in, you have their email and you didn't trick them. I mean, you're there to say, hey, you liked this, let's stay in touch. And so as a speaker, you're crazy not to collect emails. People go, oh, I just put my website. If they like me, they'll come to me. No, they will not. Yeah. Right? So that's part of your speaker responsibility is to make sure you're forever collecting names. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you're doing all that work. Yeah. Well, I get quite a few leads come out of uh, speaking, as I said. Oh, absolutely. But um, so for anyone that wants to do a TEDx talk, what would be your top tips? Well, first things first, think about what your idea is. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people say, my idea is empowering women. That's not an idea. That's an area. <laughs> that's a topic. You don't need to know your idea to start thinking about it. Talk, but you have to think and you ask yourself, why do I want to do it? What is exciting about it to me? Am I doing it because I think I'm going to promote my book? I'm going to do this or that. Realize you can't promote anything when you're doing TED. It's pure content. Yeah. You say, what is the thing and, and how to get to that idea? I have a whole list of questions to help people get at, you know, what are the things that make them tick? Because when people go, well, I want to do a TED talk on this. I'm like, that's too big. It's usually like on health and wellness and on this. I always say to you, think this way. What's something you're going to say to them that challenges what they think they already know? So 
if you say, well, I know I want to talk about wellness because I'm a wellness coach or I want to talk about whatever you do, literally anything. I don't care. You're a funeral director. Do you clean windows? I mean, literally anyone has insight from their position of expertise. So uh, you got to think about, well, what are the assumptions about this thing I want to tell people? I want people to be, live healthier. I want them to eat better. I want them, okay, you never want to lecture. Don't tell people what to do. What's something that you discovered that was counter to what you originally thought? So some of the questions, for instance, Sarah, that, I'll, uh, that are in that sheet, like, yeah, what have we'll you always- share, Put a link to share to get Yeah, that. we'll share yeah. it. But like, what have you always been really curious about and why? Or um, what one thing have you always thought but no one believed you until now or the opposite, something that you, maybe you're going to do the human guinea pig experience experiment. You tried doing something to see if it worked and it did. And it surprised you. If there isn't an element of discovery, um, then there isn't a Ted talk. But another thing Sarah people will say to me is, well, I believe this, but I also believe this and I'm not sure. So I guess I can't do that topic wrong. I say, find the ideas that are at war in your head. If there's two ideas that are at war, Ah, that means you're struggling. That means there's a potential for energy, friction, and discovery. Something's going to come out of it. Like maybe you always thought, I can't be a good mom and rock my career. Mm, really? So what have you done to challenge that? What did you do? How did you, you know, how did you make it happen? So I always say, go for the tough thing. Go for the thing that you want to challenge. Because if you go, hey, guess what? Eating greens is good for your health. Not a TED talk. Don't want to hear you <laughs> tell me what to eat. Not new. Um, maybe it's something, here's something I used to laugh at. Now I take it seriously. Here's something I always took so seriously. And now I only laugh at. So search in your life for those things. Uh, people say, well, I climbed on Everest and I lost an arm. Uh, yes. You know what? A Ted person's going to be like, well, that's kind of interesting. You live through a major trauma. You don't need to have lived through trauma to have a great Ted talk. I didn't. No. Uh, but if you did live through trauma and here's another thing, story is not enough. So if you have a story where you climbed Mount Everest and saw God or lost a foot or whatever, saw God, <laughs> it was a very high, <laughs> very high cliff, um, then you need to say, okay, well, this happened to me. That's not a TED Talk. You don't go, well, this is what happened to me. Isn't it horrible? Don't you feel bad for me? That's not what a TED Talk is. You need to find the idea in that experience. Yeah. On the other side, if you have an idea, that idea needs clothes to wear. And the clothing is the story. So if you go, God, I don't know, well, I have this idea. Well, I'd be like, what are examples from your life where that happened? Then we need to pull stories. Maybe it's one, maybe it's five little stories. Yeah. But you, the ideas need clothing yeah. and, the, and the, the clothing needs the spirit of an idea to animate it. So you need both, but you don't need extraordinary circumstances. That's, that's really good advice. Really, really good advice. And I think it was interesting that you mentioned the conflict there because uh, you probably know um, movies, any, any good movie, any good, any good story, the, the, the best thing comes out of the conflict. In, you know, that's what Always. makes it exciting. And, and so that's, I think that's a brilliant advice. And also but we're afraid of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, exactly. We're afraid of conflict. We think, well, then people won't believe us. You know, you don't want to be, you know, I knew of a vegan who had a very big following as a vegan and then she got sick and then she couldn't really function. And then she started eating meat and she felt oh, amazing. I read that. Yeah. You read her story. <laughs> uh, her name is Alex Jameson. She's terrific. But that was a tough talk about a rebranding effort. Yeah. She lost everyone who was vegan, who followed her. They, they called her names. And they, who knows what they said to her? Uh, terrible things. But she was like, this serves me now. Now that 
I don't know if she's done the TED Talk, but she really should. But yeah. it wouldn't just be about now here's why I eat meat. It would be here's what happens when you have to decide to let go and come out as who you are and let go of everyone who thought you were a certain way. That, that difficult thing, that hard part, that exciting part of a movie, that's yeah. what we want. Yeah, exactly. So you have to be willing to show some of that vulnerability. Did you find that? Did you feel that when you gave your TED Talk? Yeah, I mean, mine, mine was all about, and it's quite interesting because I did my TED Talk and then I've been researching you. And my, my TED Talk is about me finding out who I really am because uh, my daughter started calling me zombie mum because quite often <laughs> I'm not present, you know? And, and so the talk was like, what does it mean to be authentic? And it was my exploration of how, because that was really bother, bothering me that I wasn't there. My daughter's only got a couple of years before she goes off to university. So it's how, what does it mean to be authentic? And in business as well, it's all you hear, authentic, authentic, transparent, right. all this good stuff. So I really wanted to find out about that and what it meant to me and the interesting thing was something that you say in your um, I think you've got a, an article on the top uh, branding uh, things about branding and one of them is about mm -hmm. authenticity and, and, my, and my conclusion is that if you're not present you're not being and if you're not being you're not being authentic and it's That's quite true. interesting that is so it was uh so that was my yeah that i mean i'm gonna do an episode about my ted talk and not not really about my ted talk but what in my experience of ted and some of the q a's that people might have but yeah so it was quite interesting too but i'm quite passionate about it and i think i love that idea sarah i think it's so powerful because everyone wants to be authentic and it's like okay well if you're not really there and you're not really having the courage to be who you are you can't be no exactly you know? that if you're worrying about what how you're coming across to people which is inevitable i mean we do of course we are i'm so concerned about that yeah and it's so hard to do as a human being but yeah. one last thought about the ted topics yeah is that uh Something else I stand by is there's no such thing as a boring topic. I saw that. I and there's no that. such thing as an interesting topic. I just don't believe it. Yeah. Because people will say, well, this is hard because I want to talk about this. It's kind of boring. I go, does it affect your life? Did it? Could it affect mine? It's not boring. You know, like anything seem, could seem boring. Like people, even people when I'm rebranding, someone's like accounting website, but it's boring. Or no, it's not. You're talking about my money, right? My money's not boring. I'm not boring to me. <laughs> so there's always a nerve to hit. On the yeah. other side, nothing is inherently interesting. And yeah. if you assume something's interesting, that's people, I have an interesting topic. They get lazy yes. because they don't sell as hard because they think, well, it's interesting. So if you assume something's boring or you assume something's interesting, you've done yourself a disservice on both ends. Yeah, I think you're, you're still requires work. Questions. Yeah, exactly that. But back to your questions, back to your audience. So Right. Before we move on, any other tips that you want to say about TEDx talks um, and, and getting the most out of them before I go on some... some well, I will say this, because now people have brought it up to me at more than one occasion, like last night with some cocktail party, holiday kind of thing or whatever. And someone said, well, is it... Uh, uh, she was someone who works with authors. She's like, isn't it like, like TED talks have just like, you know, jumped the shark, like no one's, it's kind of exploded and now everyone's doing them. So it doesn't mean anything. And I was like, why are people getting this idea? Like, I get it. If it's only a few people did it and it was so big for a while and now it's blown up, it's, there's a risk of it being commodified, I guess, in someone's mind. But in my mind, 
okay, but let me ask you, if you got an email from someone going, would you like to give a TED Talk? You'd give it. So this whole like, oh, isn't everyone over it? Nope. I think it's great because TED has become the gold standard of public speaking. No one used to watch videos of someone speaking to another audience. It's just boring. It's not boring now. And if that means that this is a way to reach people, my God, we should all be grateful that someone wants to do it and that people are doing these TEDx events of their own interest. They're not making money off them. So my God, someone wants to put together an event on their blood, sweat, and tears and have you speak there. <laughs> you should kiss the ground they walk on. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't take it for granted. If you're, and by the way, I don't care if a million TED Talks happen today, the good ones will float to the top and the lousy ones will sink. And not all TED Talks are great. Yeah. Some of them are downright terrible. It's, it just happens. And it will never, does anyone go, don't write books anymore because there's so many out there. Nope. Everyone wants to write a book. Yeah. So if you, it, it, I said, and this is a lady who represented books. I was like, are you going to tell people not to write books anymore? You'd be out of business. People have yeah. been writing books for a lot longer. Ted's been around like a couple years and everyone's like afraid they're over it. I'm not over it. Exactly right. I mean, you're, if they're good talks, they're still good talks. You only have to look at what we watch these days. Look at reality TV. People love finding out about people's lives. I mean, that's, you know, quite a significant amount of content on your TV these days is, you know, a window into people's lives. And TEDx does that as well, you know, with a message and with a Yeah. Message, you know, and so, it's theater. Yeah. It's basically bringing back, like, as long as TEDx continues to get interesting and get a lot of attention, people... There's a little fraction of a percent that someone will give a crap about what you do. So like yeah. you should be psyched about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. That. Exactly that. And there's still plenty of people that don't know about TED or TEDx. Absolutely. There's a big market out there that doesn't yep. know. Cool. Now, what I wanted to talk to you about next was stand-up comedy because you do stand-up comedy and I just, how did you get into that and how often do you do it and how have you found that's helped you in your business or speaking? Oh, yes. Whatever. Look, that interestingly has no one even cares about maybe the TED or anything else. Now, when people introduce me to the friends, like, this is Terry, she does stand up. I was like, not for a living. Like, <laughs> I'm not making my living from stand up. Okay. I'm the first one to say it. I started it like two years ago. Literally, I am so new to it. But I have always loved performing and always tried to put jokes in there and da da. And I always was kind of doing that anyway. And people would say, yeah. Why aren't you doing stand up? I was like, Oh, no, no, no. I had all these rules why I thought I couldn't do it. And of course, they were made up because I was afraid. And then I finally said, Well, why don't I go and learn this skill? This is crazy. So I went and took a class. And, you know, guess what they teach in that class? Like, they go, Here's a mic, go. Like they don't go, okay, here's how everyone's going to write their set. Like they'll go, go ahead, try some stuff. Let's see if it works. And if it doesn't, we'll tell you why. And that was a fantastic learning experience. Uh, I already knew I was a good speaker. I'm not afraid of being on stage. So I was already ahead of the people who are afraid of the stage, have never written, are terrified. There are people who are starting from nothing. They're babies. They're like in their 20s. And it's hard for them because they're learning everything. But I learned a few things. And now I was just learning this one thing. I think, yeah. how do you handle this crowd who doesn't care? what you do for a living. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, so I took the class and the week of my first stand-up show was the same week as my first TEDx talk. Wow. I had those shows <laughs> two days apart. I almost had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> well, there's nothing I mean, like baptism of fire. I mean, but here's the thing. I didn't know what I was more afraid of. I think I was more afraid of that stand-up than the TED. I mean, TED was huge and I, was very, I knew that one mattered more, but I wasn't not scared about the stand-up, which was in a room with maybe 50 people, like maybe 100 people tops. And it was like they knew it was a beginner show. It was going to be a fine show. That was terrifying because you go out there and it is equal. You are, the last guy was or wasn't funny and now it's your turn. 
Yeah. No one gets up and reads your bio. I think speaking's way easier. They read your bio. They go, she's so wonderful. Here she comes, Miss America, to deliver the talk. They get there like, here's some chick no one knows next. <laughs> exactly that. But okay. let me tell you why I do it. And I, I'm curious to hear, because you have way more experience doing stand-up than I do. Uh, but I do it because I feel like it keeps you writing. And it keeps you super humble because you have not a leg to stand on. There's people in that room who've been drinking and they're tired and they probably maybe don't like you and that's it. So you have to work hard to get their attention in a way that I find I don't have to do when I'm doing events because I know that kind of crowd, the corporate crowd. But what it's done for me, and this is why I continue to do it, is not because it's a moneymaker, because I don't do it enough to make money. Please, I don't know anyone making money uh, doing comedy. I barely know anyone who has a job who's doing comedy. Yeah. But the reason I do it is because when I get up on the stage at a corporate event, I feel more confident now because I know I held my own somewhere not as nice. So, and it's on my bio. I'm not, it's not a surprise. I want people to know I do it because I believe it brings a little street cred. So they know they're not getting a boring corporate speaker. They go, wow, you do comedy. It's almost as much to have that badge because most people go, I've always wanted to do that. Or I can't imagine that's so scary. And it is scary as you know. Yeah, yeah. With a fraction of the people, it's terrifying. Yeah, you don't get heckles. It's uh, corporate speaking. Oh my God. Well, I have. What Someone yelled out in the middle of a keynote no. speech and asked me what I thought of Trump. I was like, let's not talk about that right now. Oh, wow. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, let's not, let's not go down that road. Right, no. <laughs> but I mean, don't you think it gives you kind of cred in both worlds? I feel like I do it because it makes me feel like an even better speaker. And when people know you've done that and you've put in a little time, I'm very proud to say that I do that work. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it, it, it sort of gives you uh, an extra differentiator from people. Um, and also, uh, you know, I teach stand-up comedy course and I often get, it's mostly corporate people and business people that come on the course. And, and my view is if you can do five minutes of stand-up comedy that you've written yourself and get laughs, you will never, ever, ever be scared of doing a presentation. Oh, again. isn't that interesting? So the people who are coming to you are really doing it because they want to be better presenters. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people come because it's, you know, it's on their, it's something that they want to challenge themselves and do something new mm -hmm. and challenging. A lot of people come because they haven't got the confidence speaking in public or, you know, one, one lady was on the last course. She'd been out of you know out of uh, she'd been looking after her mother caring for her mother and she just wanted to have a confidence boost and she just says she feels like a brand new person now having done that you know isn't that great like a rock a, if a gig goes well and you know the showcase at the end it's it's friends and families about 100 people so they're very supportive as you know ah, you at night it's a good crowd right it's a great crowd and they won't i mean they won't laugh at everything if it's not funny they won't laugh but they want you to do well and you come off that stage feeling like a rock star and that's a great confidence boost you know for for other areas of your life so I, you know, I love I you know it's a low it's very low cost thing that I do you know but I get such a lot of pleasure in seeing people do stuff that they don't ever think they can do and I think I'm sure that's the same with, with you well as you know humor is kind of the the ultimate way to connect with an audience yeah. because it's spontaneous. If you say something that makes me laugh, I'll laugh even without thinking I'm going to laugh now. It's so natural. And if I laugh at something you say, I've received it. And so it's in a way I think of uh, laughing or, or humor really um, as a kind of probiotic that helps you digest all the other content. <laughs> I swear to God, people think I'm smarter if I make them laugh. 
and I don't, I'm not any smarter than I am or was, or I'm not any smarter than them, but they, they just like you better. And it doesn't mean you're cracking jokes every second because that's a lot of pressure. And if someone's trying to be like, waka, 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 like trying to make jokes, <laughs> it's really boring. Um, I find them someone's trying too hard, but I love to surprise. I love to kind of, you know, make a comment and you make them laugh. They go, oh, they're so delighted that someone's actually shaking them up. Yeah, yeah. Well, you make me laugh. You made me laugh on this interview. <laughs> but I think you're you're very very funny. But um, I think and and what you say it does. There's been a couple of Harvard studies. I don't know if you if you know this. Um, that you know people. There was a people that did. Uh, it's I think laughing all the way or laughing can seem make you seem more competent. But they yeah. had uh, people mm. at interviews and the ones that told jokes were perceived as higher status, yes. confidence, higher confidence. And even the ones that told really rubbish jokes were perceived as higher confidence than the, than the people, you know, who were really yes. serious. So well, that like, makes sense because humor- need to find funny. <laughs> they need to. And they can. There's so much material to draw on. You don't have to be in a New York City club to do that. But the no. humor- shows a level of confidence, I have to assume, because it's playing. And if you're confident enough to play while you're up there doing something serious, there's an ease with that. If you are white knuckled hanging onto that podium, like it, you're about to drop into the depths of hell, you can't play. But if you can get up there and have some fun and make them feel heard and seen, and they feel there's an element of play, it's fun to participate. And also you must be feeling pretty good that you can play around up there. So, and I think not enough people make use of it. And that's one of the things I like to teach people too, is how to get laughs, even when you don't think you're very funny. Yes. Because you don't have to be a, it's like, oh, I got to be like a, you know, a famous comedian. It's like, no, no, no. That's not, um, that's not actually what makes people laugh. They laugh to connect. And I learned that from a guy named Gil Greengross. He's a PhD. (laughs) He is a humor researcher. I want to give him a shout out because I, I did a piece for women's health a few years ago, about they wanted to know someone who got into stand-up late. So that was me. I was the late, <laughs> late start. I was like, thanks. Thanks a lot. They had to show my age and everything. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but I was like, all right. Well, I interviewed this guy and he said, you know, there was a study where people followed, group people around, whatever, how it was done, and wrote down everything that people laughed at. And the lines that got the laughs were not funny jokes. They weren't funny at all. It's that people laugh as a group to punctuate sentences, to, to feel they ended something or to connect or just to feel connected. It actually doesn't have to be hilarious, no, but yeah, you have yeah. to allow room for those laughs in your talk. And most people don't. Yes, exactly that. I think that's one of those, one of the key things that, that I teach people on the comedy courses. You need to let the laughter run, not cut people off because you educate people not to laugh. If you cut the, that's, off. that's so good. That's I just, a- I just coached someone in her Ted talk and I gave her a funny line and I said, this is going to get a laugh. Let them laugh. Yes. But you know, you're worried that she was had never done a talk like this oh, before. And she got the laugh and she paused for a second. People actually started to do applause break oh, laugh fantastic. and she started talking and then they stopped and you're training them not to laugh. I was like, Oh, I wish you'd given just a half a beat. You know, yeah. That's helped my comedy too, is I get a lot more mileage out of a joke if I just stop for a second and wait, yeah. and then you'll get residual laughter. Yeah, exactly that. It's yeah, a whole it's like, skill, right? It's like a wave. Imagine a wave, I mean, you probably know this, a wave comes up and it, it sort of gets to the top and it's just as it's coming down after it's broken, just as it's fake, you need to talk again. So you, exactly this. I call riding the wave of laughter is a, is a good sort of picture. Oh, that's such a good tool for speakers. So great. Yeah, absolutely. But I love it. And the other thing that you do a lot of, and I know you've got a product on this as well, a course on this, is around the media 
and being, I think, in front of a camera. Is, is yes, right. yes. Now, mm -hmm. with, with the explosion of things like Facebook Lives and so on, I couldn't have you on the show without getting uh, a few tips from you about people who are starting to use video to grow their business or grow their brand, whether a speaker or just a entre normal entrepreneur or business owner or corporate leader. Have you, have you got any tips around that that you could share before we move on to my standard questions? Okay. Well, look, yes, I do have a course with, I have my own courses and then I have a course with a business partner. It's called Lights, Camera, Expert. People who are trying to be in the media and to be in the media, you have to know what you're presenting. You also know, have to know how to present. Um, and so we do a lot of training to how to get people to speak comfortably on camera. And now everyone, you're right, is going rogue. They're doing their own videos. <laughs> I love video. And I'm like shoemaker with no shoes. Like I'm always like, you know, I'm going to do a video series and I'm always telling other people to do it. And I don't even have any, like I'm the worst, <laughs> but I love it. And I think you don't have to go fancy. You can sit, look at where I am right now. Like me and you, we're obviously in a video conference and no one can see us, but uh, do it in your house. Yeah. Just make sure you don't have your laundry with your underwear and socks behind you. I've made that mistake. Believe me. <laughs> uh, I move, you move that away, but you sit in front of your camera or you use your phone and you talk to it. And what I say to people is look at the, don't look at yourself on the screen. Look at the green dot, yeah. look at the actual camera hole, but rather than look at the hole and go, I'm talking into a void, pretend you can see through that hole to someone you love on the other side, because someone you love is on the other side and people who want to love you are on the other side. So you need to talk through it and really talk as if you're having conversation. I don't get when people go, yeah, I'm out here. And the, I'm like, well, who are you? Why are you yelling? What are you doing? Why do people get into announcement voice? I just talk to it as if I'm talking to my phone. I've developed a very intimate relationship with this phone. Yes. And I will talk to it just like I'm, I'm talking to a friend, like, you know, and blah, 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 blah. Keep it short. Do a practice. Don't do a lot of fumfering around. Like, well, I'm, this is new, and I I'm, I feel weird doing that. Just get to your point. What do you want to tell us today? I'm thinking of doing a series of like thirty second videos. I'm saying this so that I'll do it. Yeah. Um, that that just just to share. Yes, just to share your your stuff and your insights. The world really wants to see it. And and you know you don't even need to have pants on. Yeah, one of the one of the funniest things I see, and I bless whenever I talk to people about any Facebook Live, it's one of my biggest bugbears when they get What's on that? Facebook and they like look doing their hair, waiting for oh people my god, to come on and <laughs> no. doing their hair. And then one, and then one woman the other day I saw was basically I don't know what she was doing, but she was walking out of outside of the camera, and t it just was it's hilarious. And like you say, get started, get right to it. And I know people won't see it, but they will replay it later. No one wants to sit through you doing your hair. No, just start not. as if it's like, and you're on. <laughs> you know, like just start right away. Don't fix your hair or talk about what you're doing. Just start Brilliant. talking. Brilliant. Thank you for that. That's, that's excellent advice. Right. Okay. So I have some questions that I ask all my sure. guests. Um, the first thing is, what is the best thing? And I guess we're doing a TED theme month, so it could be TED or it could be public speaking or it could be comedy in your case. What's the best thing I normally ask that speaking has ever done for you? The act of speaking? Yeah. Like being a speaker, you know, what opportunities it got you? What's it, what's it? Oh, done the best thing is speaking. Well, yes, as you say, lots of opt-ins, hundreds of people want to stay in touch with you. Business comes from it. 
may not have clients that come out of it, but the best thing speaking has ever done for me is given me more opportunities to speak. Speaking, if you do it well, is a hydra-headed beast. You do one, it turns into two, it turns into three. And the greatest thing, the thing I'm most grateful for is that I continue to get the opportunity to do it because it's one thing to do it to have an end in mind, to sell something, to just get opt-ins, to get the hell off the stage. But I actually love doing it. And so the greatest thing for me is to get an invitation to do it again. Brilliant. And the, what's the worst thing that's happened to you? Um, I guess it's called your blooper. Is, is there a, 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 yes, I'll tell you. Anybody? The worst. <laughs> Anything can happen to me on a stage at an event. I'll be okay with it. I'll make a joke out of it. The clicker doesn't work. I'm not worried uh, so much about that technical stuff. Yeah. The worst thing that ever happened was my first stand-up show, my very first joke. The little advice someone should have told me was lead with your best joke. Oh, yeah. Don't lead with a half-written joke. So I started with a joke that didn't, doesn't go anywhere. And I thought, oh, but it's the premise is so funny that like people will, I imagined a bed of laughter coming up to catch me. And I started to say it and it didn't go anywhere. And I could tell, and I felt myself like, ooh. So I caught it. It was the first and only time I've really just bombed. And I felt it going and I stopped and I said, hmm, that wasn't so funny. Let's stop. Let's go back and do it. Let's do this again. And I started with a different joke. And they laughed and I won them back. That's a oh, mulligan. You get like one. Yeah. But I was like, man, I don't know where that's going. I just kind of was like, I didn't, the goal is to not make your audience worried about you and feel bad for you. So I was like in control, like that didn't work. Let's try it again. I saved it and it never, never happened again. That is exactly, that's a brilliant tip. It's, it's, it's certainly happening. Own the bomb. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's that. And then also the one that you said before. So open with your best material, close with your best material. If you're trying out new stuff, put it in the middle. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the cardinal rule of comedy. But uh, yeah, it's brilliant. And then I don't know if you've heard of a book called Think and Grow Rich by a guy called yes, Napoleon, of course, Hill. Napoleon Hill. Yes. And one thing I'm always curious about, and um, so in his book, Napoleon Hill had a mastermind group and he had some, some, people from history that he used to sort of run ideas past if you could have three people and they could be alive or dead fictional non-fictional who would you have as your three mentors and why my god she saves her toughest question for the end <laughs> i'll tell you that um i know one of them is alive and is someone i could reach out to but don't because i want to preserve and not make myself a nuisance but I really very much admire Seth Godin, who, oh, yeah. of course, a lot of people really love. And he has become a mentor. And guess, oh, I go back. This is the best thing speaking ever gave to me. Was Seth. <laughs> right. The go. best thing that speaker speaking ever gave to me was Seth Godin, because I spoke on a panel at an event. And panels are a whole other ballgame. There's a whole way to do it. I teach people how to make panels better, how to make the most of it. And I followed my own advice. I I did a great job on that panel. I didn't talk over anybody when I, when I was invited to speak and I made, it made a great point. And afterwards, he came up to me. He had been backstage because he was waiting to go on to give the keynote. And he waved me over and he said, wow, you, know, you, you really are a rock star out there. I'd like to keep in touch with you. Oh, wow. That's that does not happen in the world. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I couldn't. And so I did write to him and he invited me up for lunch. Oh, and wow. a year ago, I had lunch with Seth Godin. And I am very careful about when I reach out to him, but if something were really going down, I needed that advice, people to, you know, run by, I would go to him because I trust him so much and admire him so much. Yeah. By the way, that double answer to your question, because yeah. that is the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> um, I think I would want to ask, uh, I really think this is crazy. I'm going to say this because I was never like her biggest fan, but um, I think I would want 
to know what Oprah thinks, doesn't everyone? Uh, and the third person, and the, I guess I could go to like the presidents if I'm not thinking about them. I really am the hugest fan of Howard Stern. He is oh, the he is the wow. biggest the biggest impact has the biggest influence on me as a broadcaster, and I listen to every show on series and I, I am obsessed with him. I've listened for 20 years. And so I feel like I've internalized the way he thinks about things. I think he's such like a good, good man, like the way he reasons things. And if I could run stuff by him, I would. Wow. That's, that's made me want to listen to Howard Stern. I've never, I always had a sort of image of him being. Your image is wrong. I'll tell you everyone, and, not uh, anymore. Wow. Not with everyone, what everyone's doing now. He is actually the opposite of what people think. Um, even with show, just from what I listen to. But if you listen to a guy four hours a day, you get to know him. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for that. I'll, uh, I'll check him out. Well, that's brilliant. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing such it's great a pleasure. advice today. Um, and I'm going to put a link into your website so people can come and pick up uh, that free thing about 25 questions to ask yourself. I think it's cool. Yes, 25 uh, questions to discover your Ted Worthy idea. It's just terrorjustbeeshow.com. Brilliant. And check the other stuff that you've got on there. They're out. But thank you again so much for your time. You've been brilliant. I really enjoyed talking to you. Made me thank laugh. you. And it's hard when another, co- when you're a comic, it just ruins comedy for you. So <laughs> thank you <very laughs> You take care. To have a fantastic day. And thank you very much again. Thank you. Wow. She's a funny lady. She's got some strong opinions too. Really enjoyed speaking to her. If you're in America and you're near uh, New York and you can get along to see her live doing a comedy, just go. I think it'd be worth it. And I would also pick up her freebie because that's going to be a cool thing to help you find your idea, whether it's for a TEDx talk or just any presentation really. Um, So yeah, and thank you for listening. As usual, it's brilliant that you can spare the time and I hope you get lots of value out of this show and this one's going out just before Christmas Um, and I wanted to say to you and yours have a wonderful festive season and as ever if you're feeling generous with your time why not go and leave me a little Christmas present of a review of the Speaking Club podcast Um, but I better go now because my chestnuts are roasting uh, on an open fire and you know that's pretty dodgy so uh, take care everyone Thanks again and see you after Christmas. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book, Straight to the Top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.